So passed the third day of their journey with Gollum. Before the shadows of evening were long and happier lands, they went on again, always on and on with only brief halts. These they made not so much for rest as to keep Gollum, for now he had, he had to go forward with great care, and was sometimes at a loss for a while. They had come to the very midst of the dead marshes, and it was dark. They walked slowly, stooping, keeping close in line, following attentively every move that Gollum made. The fens grew more wet, opening into wide, stagnant mares, among which it grew more and more difficult to find the firmer places where feet could tread without sinking into the gurgling mud. The travellers were light, or maybe none of them would have ever found a way through. Presently, it grew altogether dark. The air itself seemed black and heavy to breathe. When the lights appeared, Sam rubbed his eyes. He thought his head was going strange. He first saw one with the corner of his left eye, a wisp of a pale sheen that faded away. But others appeared soon after, some like dimly shining smoke, some like misty flames flickering slowly above unseen candles. Here and there they twisted like ghostly sheets unfurled by hidden hands. But neither of his companions spoke a word. At last Sam could bear it no longer. What's all this, Gollum? he said. These, these lights, they're around us now. Are we, are we trapped? Who are they? Gollum looked up. A dark water was before him, and he was crawling on the ground this way and that, doubtful of the way. Yes, they are all around us. The Trixie lights. Candles of corpses. Yes, yes, don't you heed them. Don't look, don't follow. Where's the master? Sam looked back and found that Frodo had lagged again. He could not see him. He went some paces back into the darkness, not daring to move far, or to call him more than a hoarse whisper. Suddenly he stumbled against Frodo, who was standing lost in thought, looking at the pale lights. His hands hung stiff at his sides. Water and slime were dripping from them. Come, Mr. Frodo, said Sam. Don't look at them. Gollum says we mustn't. Let's keep up with him and get out of this cursed place as quickly as we can, if we can. Oh, all right, said Frodo, as if returning from a dream. I'm coming, go on. Hurrying forward again, Sam tripped, catching his foot in some old root or tussock. He fell and came heavily onto his hands, which sank deep into the sticky ooze, so that his face was brought up close to the surface of the dark mirror. There was a faint hiss. A noisome smell came up, and the lights flickered and danced and swirled. For a moment the water below him looked like some window, glazed with a grimy glass, through which he was peering. Wrenching his hands out of the bog, he sprang up with a cry. There are dead things! Dead faces in the water! He said with horror. Dead faces! <laughs> Gollum laughed. The dead marshes! Yes, yes, that is their name. You should not look in where the candles are lit. Who are they? What are they? Said Sam, shuddering, turning to Frodo, who was now behind him. I don't know, said Frodo, in a dreamlike voice, but I've seen them too. In the pools and the candles were lit, they lie in all the pools, pale faces, deep, deep under the dark water. I saw them, grim and evil and noble and sad. Many faces, proud and fair, and weeds in their silver hair. But all foul, all rotting, 
all dead. A fell light is in them. Frodo had his eyes in his hands. I do not know who they are, but I thought I saw their men's and elves and orcs beside them. Yes, yes, said Gollum, all dead, all rotten, elves and men and oxes, the dead marshes. There was a great battle long ago, yes, so they told him when Schmiegel was young. When I was young, before the precious came, it was a great battle. Tall men with long swords and terrible elves and oxes shrieking. They fought in the plain for days and months at the black gates. But the marshes have grown, swallowed right up the graves, always creeping, creeping. But that's an age or more ago, said Sam. The dead can't really be there. Is it some devilry hatched in the dark land? Who knows? Schmeagel doesn't know, answered Gollum. You cannot reach them, you cannot touch them. We tried once, yes, precious, I tried once, but you cannot reach them. Only shapes to see, perhaps, but not to touch. No, precious. All dead. Sam looked darkly at him and shuddered again, thinking that he guessed why Schmeagel had tried to touch them. Well, I don't want to see them, he said. Never again. Can't we just get on and get away? Yes, yes, said Gollum, but slowly, very slowly, very carefully. Or hobbitses go down to join the dead ones and the light little candles. Follow Schmeagel. Don't look at the lights. He crawled away to the right, seeking for a path round the mere. They came close behind, stooping, often using their hands, even as he did. Three little columns in a row we shall be, if it goes on much longer, thought Sam. At last they came to the end of the black mere, and they crossed it, perilously, crawling or hopping from one treacherous island tussock to another. Often they floundered, stepping or falling, hands first into waters, as noisome as a cesspool, until they were slimed and fouled almost up to their necks and stank in one another's nostrils. It was late in the night when at length they reached the firmer ground again. Gollum hissed and whispered to himself, but it appeared that he was pleased. In some mysterious way, by some blended sense of feel, smell and uncanny memory for shapes in the dark, he seemed to know just where he was again and to be sure of the road again. Now we go, nice hobbits, brave hobbits, very, very weary, of course, but so are we, my precious, all of us. But we must take Master away from the wicked lights. Yes, 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 we must. With these words, he started off again, almost at a trot, down to what appeared to be a long lane between the high reeds, and they stumbled after him as quickly as they could. But in a little while, he stopped suddenly and sniffed the air doubtfully, hissing as if he was troubled or displeased again. What is it? growled Sam, misinterpreting the sign. What's the need to sniff? The stink nearly knocks me down if my nose held. You stink, and Master stinks. The whole place stinks. Yes, yes, and Sam stinks, answered Gollum. But poor Schmeagel smells it, but good Schmeagel bears it. Helps nice, Master, but that's no matter. The air's moving. Change is coming. Schmeagel wonders. Schmeagel's not happy. He went on again, but his uneasiness grew, and every now and again he stood up to his full height, craning his neck eastward and southward. For some time the hobbits could not hear or feel what was troubling him. Then suddenly all three halted, stiffening and listening. 
To Frodo and Sam, it seemed that they heard far away a long wailing cry, high and thin and cruel. They shivered. At the same moment, the stirring of the air became perceptible to them, and it grew very cold. As they stood straining their ears, they heard a noise like a wind coming in the distance. The misty lights wavered, dimmed, and went out. Gollum wouldn't move. He stood shaking and gibbering to himself, until with a rush the wind came upon them, hissing and snarling over the marshes. The night became less dark, light enough for them to see, or half-see, shapeless drifts of fog, curling and twisting as it rolled over them and passed them. Looking up, they saw the clouds breaking and shredding. Then high in the south, the moon glimmered out, riding in the flying rack. For a moment, the sight of it gladdened the hearts of the hobbits, but Gollum cowered down, muttering curses in the white face. Then Frodo and Sam, staring at the sky, breathed deeply of the fresh air and saw it come. A small cloud flying from the accursed hills, a black shadow loosed from Mordor, a vast shape, winged and ominous. It scudded across the moon, and with deadly cry it went away westward, outrunning the wind in its fell speed. They fell forward, groveling heedlessly on the cold earth. But the shadow of horror wheeled and returned, passing lower now, right above them, sweeping the fen reek with its ghastly wings. And then it was gone. Flying back to Mordor with the speed of the wrath of Sauron, and behind it the wind roared away, leaving the dead marshes bare and bleak. The naked waste, as far as the eye could pierce, even the distant menace of the mountains, was dappled with the fitful moonlight. Frodo and Sam got up, rubbing their eyes, like children wakened from an evil dream to find a familiar night still all over the world. But Gollum lay on the ground as if he'd been stunned. They roused him with difficulty, and for some time he would not lift his face, but knelt forward on his elbows, covering the back of his head with his large, flat hands. Wraiths! Wraiths on wings! The precious is their master! They see everything! Everything! Nothing can hide from them. Curse the white face. And they tell him everything he sees. He knows. Gollum, Gollum, Gollum. It wasn't until the moon had sunk, westering far beyond Tolbrandir, that he would get up or make a move. From that time on, Sam thought that he sensed a change in Gollum again. He was more fawning and would be friendly, but Sam surprised some strange look in his eyes, especially towards Frodo and he went back more and more to his old way of speaking. And Sam had another growing anxiety. Frodo seemed to be weary, weary to the point of utter exhaustion. He said nothing, indeed he hardly spoke at all, and he did not complain, but he walked like one who carries a load, the weight of which is ever increasing. And he dragged along, slower and slower, so that Sam had to often beg Gollum to wait, and not to leave their master behind. In fact, with every step towards the gates of Mordor, Frodo felt the weight of the ring on his chain becoming more burdensome around his neck. He was now beginning to feel it as an actual weight, dragging him towards the earth. But far more, he was troubled by the eye, so he called it to himself. It was that more, the drag, more than the drag of the ring that made him cower and stoop as he walked. The eye, the horrible sense of a hostile will that strove with great power to pierce all shadows of cloud and earth and flesh and see you, 
to pin you under its deadly gaze, naked and immovable. So thin, so frail and thin, the veils were become that still warded it off. Frodo knew just where the present habitation and heart of that world now was. As certain as a man can tell the direction of the sun with his eyes shut, he was facing it, and its potency beat upon his brow. Gollum probably felt something of the same sort, but what went on in his wretched heart between the pressure of the eye and the lust of the ring that was so near, and his groveling promise made half in the fear of cold iron, all these things together the hobbits could not guess. Frodo gave no thought to it. Sam's mind was occupied mostly with his master, hardly noticing the dark cloud that had fallen upon his own heart. He put Frodo in front of him now, and kept a watchful eye on every movement of his, of his, supporting him if he stumbled, and trying to encourage him with clumsy words. When day came at last, the hobbits were surprised to see how much closer the ominous mountains had already drawn. The air was now clearer and colder, and though still far off, the walls and water were no longer a cloudy menace on the edge of sight, but as grim black towers they frowned across the dismal waste. The marshes were at an end, dying away into dead peats and wide flats of dry cracked mud. The land ahead rose in long shallow slopes, barren and pitiless, towards the desert that lay at Sauron's gate. While the grey light lasted, they cowered under a black stone-like worms, shrinking, lest the winged terror should pass and spy them with its cruel eyes. The remainder of that journey was on a shadow of growing fear in which memory could find nothing to rest upon. For two more nights they struggled on through the weary, pathless land. The air, as it seemed to them, grew harsh and filled with a bitter reek that caught their breath and parched their mouths. At last, on the fifth morning since they took the road with Gollum, they halted once more. Before them, dark in the dawn of the great mountains, reached up to the roofs of smoke and clouds. Out from their feet were flung huge buttresses and broken hills that were now at the nearest scarce a dozen now at the nearest, scarce a dozen miles away. Frodo looked around in horror. Dreadful as the dead marshes had been and the arid moors of the no-man lands, more loathsome far was the country that the crawling day now slowly unveiled, unveiled to his shrinking eyes. Even to the mirror of dead faces had some haggard phantom of green spring, but here neither spring nor summer would ever come again. Here nothing lived, not even leprous growths that feed on rottenness. The gasping pools were choked with ash and crawling muds, sickly white and grey, as if the mountains had vomited the filth of their entrails upon the land about them. High mounds of crushed and powdered rock, great cones of earth, fire-blasted and poison-stained, stood like an obscene graveyard in endless rows, slowly revealed in the reluctant light. They had come to the desolation that lay before Mordor, the lasting monument to the dark labour of its slaves that should endure when all their purposes were made void. A land defiled, diseased beyond all healing, unless the great sea should enter in and wash it with oblivion. I feel sick, said Sam. Frodo did not speak. For a while they stood there, like men on the edge of sleep when a nightmare lurks, holding it off, though they knew or know that they can only come to morning through the shadows. The light broadened and hardened, the gasping pits and poisonous mounds grew hideously clear. The sun was up, w walking amongst clouds and long clouds of smoke. 
but even in the sunlight was defiled. The hobbits had no welcome for that light, unfriendly it seemed, revealing them in their helplessness, little squeaking ghosts that wandered amongst the ash heaps of the Dark Lord. Too weary to go further, they sought for some place where they could rest. For a while they sat without speaking under the shadows of a mound of slag, but foul fumes leaked out of it, catching their throats and choking them. Gollum was the first to get up. Spluttering and cursing he rose, and without a word or a glance at the hobbits, he crawled away on all fours. Frodo and Sam crawled after him until they came to a wide, almost circular pit, high banked upon the west. It was cold and dead, and a foul sump of oily, many-coloured ooze lay at its bottom. In this evil hole they cowered, hoping that in its shadow they could escape the attention of the eye. The day passed slowly. A great thirst troubled them, but they drank only a few drops from their bottles. Last filled in the gully, which now they looked back seemed to be a place of peace and beauty. The hobbits took it in turns to watch. At first, tired as they were, neither of them could sleep at all. But as the sun far away was climbing down into a slow-moving cloud, Sam dozed. It was Frodo's turn to be on guard. He lay back on the slope of the pit, but that did not ease the sense of burden that was upon him. He looked up at the smoke-streaked sky and saw strange phantoms, dark riding shapes and faces out of the past. He lost count of time, hovering between sleep and wake, until forgetfulness came over him. Suddenly Sam woke up thinking they could hear his master calling. It was evening. Frodo could not have called, for he had fallen asleep and had slid down nearly to the bottom of the pit. Gollum was by him. For a moment Sam thought that he was trying to rouse Frodo, and then he saw that it was not so. Gollum was talking to himself. Schmeagel was holding a debate with some other thought that used the same voice but made it squeak and hiss. A pale light and a green light alternated in his eyes as he spoke. Schmeagel promised, said the first thought. Yes, my precious, came the answer. We promised to save our precious, not to let him have it, never. But it's going to him, yes, near of a step. What's the hobbit going to do with it, we wonders, yes, we wonders? I don't know, I can't help it. Master's got it. Schmeagel promised to help the master. Yes, yes, help the master. Master of the precious. But if we was master, then we could help ourselves. Yes, yes, and still keep promises. But Schmeagel said that he would be very good. Nice hobbit. He took the cruel rope off Schmeagel's leg. He speaks nicely to me. Very, very good. Yes, my precious. Let's be good. Good as a fish, sweet one. But to ourselves. Not hurt the hobbit. No, don't hurt the nice hobbit. No, no. But the precious holds the promise. The voice of Schmeagel objected. Then take it, said the other, and hold it ourselves, and then we can be master. <coughs> make the other hobbit, the nasty, suspicious hobbit, make him crawl. Yes, <coughs> but not the nice hobbit. Oh, no, 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 not if it doesn't please us. Still, he's a Baggins, my precious, yes, a Baggins. A Baggins stole it. He found it, and he said nothing, nothing. We hate Bagginses. Not this Baggins. Yes, every Baggins. All people that keep the precious. We must have it. But he'll see. He'll know. He'll take it from us. He sees. He knows. 
He heard us make silly promises against his orders. Yes, must take it. The wraiths are searching. Must take it. No, no, not for him. No, sweet one. See, my precious, if we has it, then we can escape, even from him. <laughs> Maybe we grow strong, stronger than the wraiths. Lord Schmeagel, Gollum the Great, the Gollum. We eat fish every day, three times a day, fresh from the sea. Most precious Gollum. Must have it. We wants it. We wants it. We wants it. But there's two of them. They'll wake too quick and kill us, Weinschmigel. Not now, not yet. We wants it, but... And here there was a long pause, as if a new thought had wakened. Not yet, perhaps not. Sh she might help. She might, yes. No, 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 not that way, wailed Schmeagel. We wants it, yes, yes, we wants it. Each time the second thought spoke, Gollum's long hand crept out slowly, pouring towards Frodo, and then was drawn back with a jerk as Schmeagel spoke again. Finally, both arms with long fingers flexed and twitching, clawed towards his neck. Sam had lain still, fascinated by this debate, but watching every movement that Gollum made from his half-closed eyelids. To a simple mind, ordinary hunger, the desire to eat hobbits, had seemed the chief danger of Gollum. And then he realised it was not so. Gollum was feeling the terrible call of the ring. The Dark Lord was he, of course, but Sam wondered who she was. One of the nasty friends the little wretch had made in his wanderings, he supposed. Then he forgot the point, for things had plainly gone far enough and were getting dangerous. A great heaviness was in all his limbs, but he roused himself with an effort and sat up. Something warned him to be careful and not to reveal that he'd overheard the debate. He let out a huge sigh and gave a big yawn. What's the time? he said sleepily. Gollum sent out a long hiss through his teeth. He stood up for a moment tense and menacing, and then he collapsed, falling towards on all fours and crawling up the bank of the pit. Nice hobbits, nice Sam, he said. Sleepyheads, yes, sleepyheads, leave good Schmeagel to watch, but it's evening. Dusk is creeping, time to go. High time, thought Sam, and time we parted too. Yet it crossed his mind to wonder if indeed Gollum was not now as dangerous, turned loose as kept with them. Curse him, I wish he was choked, he muttered. He stumbled down the bank and roused his masters up. Strangely enough, Frodo felt refreshed. He had been dreaming. The dark shadow had passed and a fair vision had visited him in the land of disease. Nothing remained of it in his memory, yet because of it he felt glad and lighter of heart. His burden was less heavy on him. Gollum welcomed him with dog-like delight. He chuckled and chatted and cracked his long fingers and pawed at Frodo's knees. Frodo smiled at him. Come, he said, you have guided us well and faithfully. This is the last stage. Bring us to the gate, and then I will not ask you to go further. Bring us to the gate, and you may go wherever you wish, just not to our enemies. To the gate? Gollum squeaked, seemed surprised and frightened. 
Oh, to the gate, master says. Oh, yes, he says so. And good Schmeagel does what he asks. Oh, yes, and when he gets closer, we'll see, perhaps we'll, we'll see then. It won't look nice at all. Oh, no, oh, no. Go on with you, said Sam. Let's just get it over. In the falling dusk, they scrambled out of the pit and slowly threaded their way through the dead land. They'd not gone far before they fell once more to the fear that had fallen on them when the winged shape had swept over the marshes. They halted, cowering on the evil-smelling ground, but they saw nothing in the gloomy evening sky above, and soon the menace passed, high overhead, going maybe on some swift errand from Barandur. After a while, Gollum got up and crept forward again, muttering and shaking. After an hour after midnight, the fear fell on them a third time, but now seemed more remote, as if it were passing far, far above the clouds, rushing with terrible speed into the west. Gollum, however, was helpless with terror, and was convinced they were being hunted, and that their approach was known. Three times! Th three times is a threat! They feel us here! They feel the precious! The precious is their master! We cannot go further this way. No, no, it's no use. Pleading and kind words were no longer any avail. It's not until Frodo commanded him angrily and laid a hand on his sword hilt that Gollum would even get up again. Then at last he rose with a snarl and went before them like a beaten dog. Still, they stumbled on through the weary end of night and until the coming of another day of fear, they walked in silence with bowed heads seeing nothing and hearing nothing but the wind hissing in their ears.